Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. We have a member of our community on today's episode. Her name is Christy. Before we get to her, a thank you to all of you who have reviewed the podcast. We got a five-star review that says, Lifeline. This podcast has been exactly what I've needed. I've spent way too much money on counseling when they truly didn't understand the situation. BTR truly gets it. I feel this podcast is empowering and gives the facts about what's really going on so that I can focus on healing. I've joined the BTR group and look forward to more healing and shared experiences with the women there. Thank you, Anne, so much for creating this podcast. I look forward to listening to more episodes to come. Finally, some light in this trauma-bonded abuse. I'm actually going to do an episode on trauma bonds uh, soon, so stay tuned for that. But thank you so much for your five-star review. If you haven't already and you're so inclined, these five-star reviews really help the algorithm on Apple Podcasts and the other podcasting apps so that women who are looking for information can find us and not find, you know, how to communicate better or something like that so that they can really get the information they need to discover the truth about what is happening to them. You can live for years in chaos and pain when you go down the wrong road, like maybe couple therapy or perhaps pornography addiction recovery or something like that, which can really lead to just years more of chaos and pain. So thank you to those of you who are helping get the word out about BTR so women can get this information. You know, I have found that summertime is a crazy time for... (laughs) abuse episodes. Uh, Holidays are too, like Christmas. So many women find out awful things on Christmas or on the 4th of July. I wonder if sometimes some of these things are discovered, you know, on the way to a family reunion or on the way to a family vacation because they know that their wife has to sort of toe the line during that time, right? She has to put a good face on for the kids and she's stuck in a hotel room or in a car So summer can be a really tricky time. We are here for you, just like we always are with Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. It's always running. There's multiple sessions a day in every single time zone. We recommend the first time that you actually join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group that you join from a laptop or a desktop. It makes it easier to join. And the first group that you attend, do that on a laptop. And then once you're used to the way it works, then joining on a phone or joining on some other device is relatively easy. So that way you can sneak off during that family reunion and get to a place with Wi-Fi or where you have self-service and get some support. We love you and we want to be here for you during your hardest times. And I found when I was going through the vacations and trips were some of the hardest times I ever had. I hoped it would be fun and then it ended up just being awful. Just keep that in mind. If you have a disclosure or something, we are here for you. So go to btr.org, check out the session schedule, and we'd love to see you in a group today. Okay, now to my conversation with Christy. Welcome, Christy. Thank you. Just like so many members of our community, you went through this for years and didn't understand what was happening. Can you tell me your story? Did you recognize your husband's abusive behaviors at first? No, I did not. So we... I have been married 11 years and I'm fairly young. So we both went to a Christian college and that's where we met. And after we graduated, we got married. And so I kind of had those expectations um, and we talked through our values. Um, Our first year of marriage, I had suspicions. So I asked him and he lied about it. And then I did find porn on our computer. What made you suspicious that he was using porn when you asked him and he lied? I have no idea. (laughs) And I... 
maybe 11 years ago, I could have answered that. I think now just the Holy Spirit and throughout my story, you'll just kind of hear that theme of I knew something was wrong and couldn't pinpoint it. And so all I can relate it to is I knew something was wrong and I was asking, hoping I'd get an honest answer. I don't know that I believed him, but I wanted to. And so I didn't push it any further. But some reason I snooped enough to where I found something. He was kind of put in a corner. So he said he had looked at it and I kind of firmly said, well, I'd like to go to counseling together about this. It's very hurtful towards me. I don't think this is something good. You know, I want to be there for you and be enough for you. Like I took it internally too of like, this isn't good for either one of us. And so we went to counseling together and Now I know he lied, but I didn't know at the time. He kind of treated it as an isolated incident. He was very regretful, remorseful, could see how it hurt me, never wanted to do that again. And then some other things came out in our counseling that did kind of help our relationship previous to that. We didn't communicate well. He kind of yelled a lot. And I even at one point had found myself just in the car for hours, not knowing where else to go. And so some of that counseling did help that piece. So I kind of felt hopeful. It's really interesting that you say that because what I see there is that he became better at manipulating you. Yes, I know that now. Yeah. It was less obvious because he wasn't yelling at you anymore, but he was still lying to you, manipulating you and hiding the truth from you. So really he just got better at psychological abuse as a result of couple therapy. Yeah. And I'm sure spiritual abuse too. Yeah. That's really hard for women to understand. I think the other thing that's interesting in that case is those, the things that you view as good, right? Oh, he didn't yell and he was acting nicer. If it's coming from a place of manipulation, it's still not good. It's just grooming. So that makes it tricky too. What types of things did you do yourself to try to establish peace and safety in your home besides the therapy? Like, Was there other things that you tried, like checking in with him? No, I would kind of do that if I were triggered. I'm like, oh, are you still looking at it? But he said he had people he felt comfortable talking to about that. And I said, okay, are you talking to them? You know, I just try and do it that way. And then I did say, I do not want you to yell at me. And he didn't anymore. And then... I think just life got busy. And so I kind of pushed it to the back of my brain of like, you know, this isn't going on. I think he probably got a smartphone. He wasn't on our computer as much. And so I think just things drifted to where I couldn't see it and didn't know it was going on. I think it was happening. In the meantime, I'm guessing the manipulation and the lying and the gaslighting was still occurring. It was. So we fast forward a couple of years and now I see lying in other sense. So I found in our basement, like hidden away, a vodka bottle. And so now I know he's hiding and lying about drinking liquor alone. And I express that concern. I don't think it's healthy for either one of us to drink alone. And can we (laughs) come to that agreement? He agreed to that. But later on, continue that habit as well. I knew when I found evidence that those were lies, but until hearing the podcast, I didn't realize how much it was emotional abuse. And like you said, he knew what he was doing the whole time. 
I'm going to take a break here for just a second to talk about my book, Trauma Mama Husband Drama. It's available on Amazon. It's also available on our books page, btr.org backslash books. That page has a bunch of curated books from me, but also from all of the other authors that we really recommend. The Great Sex Rescue is an excellent one by Sheila Gregwire. The top two that I always recommend are Why Does He Do That by Lundy Bancroft and The Verbally Abusive Relationship by Patricia Evans. No woman who suspects that her husband is using porn should go without reading those two books. Those two books are super important. Before you go down the pornography addiction recovery route or before you even go to therapy or anything, Read those two books first. They will give you a foundation of what you're looking at in terms of emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion. Because trying to have sex with her without giving her all the information that she needs to give consent is coercion. It's a really important concept to understand, and I'm so grateful that we talk about it here all the time. So to understand these concepts better, Trauma Mama Husband Drama shows those in picture format and it's really short. So instead of giving your friend or family member a big thick book, like why does he do that? Trauma Mama Husband Drama is a very quick read. It takes less than five minutes and there's a bunch of infographics at the back. So when you purchase it on Amazon, please return back to Amazon and give it a five-star rating. Every one of those ratings helps with the Amazon algorithm. And when they find the book on Amazon, even if they don't purchase it, That leads them to this free podcast. Okay, now back to my conversation with Christy. Before you get to the podcast, when do you realize that loving and serving and forgiving aren't solving your marriage problems? These classic Christian values that people teach. When do you realize, wait a minute, all this love and the service and the forgiveness isn't helping? Right. So this pattern kind of continued. And then about two years ago, we found out we were pregnant with our third daughter. So they're all each about two years apart. However, this time I was on birth control. I take it like religiously same time every day. It had worked for years and it did not. And we were having a surprise baby and his world just came crashing down. He made comments like, now I'm going to have another child. I'm going to screw up and he's going to end up in counseling because of me. I'm never going to have freedom ever again. And so when I had to tell him, that was pregnant, that's when I first started seeing him spiral. And then when she was born, it really hit him. And so I was like four weeks postpartum and he comes home like shaking, having anxiety attacks. And this is when, like you said, I started like, okay, I'll give him space. What do I need to do to love him more? Do all the things in the house. So I'm a stay-at-home mom, so I'm taking care of a four-year-old, a two-year-old, three-month-old doing all the things I can and nothing seems to be working. And so then, okay, for the weekend, let me go drive. It's supposed to be three and a half hours. I think that time ended up being five and a half to see my parents for the weekend. Like you rest up, do everything you can, and I'm going to come back. And when I came back, I realized even that wasn't going to help him. He was blaming it on the baby, like I'm depressed the drinking and the lying about that increased. And so I was noticing all this. And for months, I worked really hard and realized I wasn't helping him. So I talked to him about that and said, I'm going to go to counseling then because I don't know how to be the best mom, the best wife and caretaker for everybody. And he was like, okay. (laughs) 
go ahead. And so I did. And it was frustrating because, of course, I wanted him to go or for us to go together, um, but he didn't want to. And so I was thankful for that. So about a year ago, or at Christmas time, I saw him texting heart emojis on his phone late one night, and I approached him about that. When I did, he deleted it, denied anything was going on. He gave me the code to his phone saying, I've got nothing to hide. And even Christmas morning, I was still processing it, crying on the floor. He was in the room with the kids playing with all the toys, and I was just sad thinking about having to share my kids with him and another woman. And later on, I told him, and he denied it and said, you've got nothing to worry about. Um, I love you. I want you. I want this family. And there's nothing I do to put that in jeopardy. And I was like, okay. But I had the code to his phone. And that over the next couple of months, I looked on there using that. He would drink at night and it interacted with his antidepressant medicine. There were some differing opinions whether he didn't think it was too much, and I thought it was. I would see just his eyes get so heavy, and he'd get knocked out like that. And I even tried to wake him up one time to talk to him, and he was incoherent. And those were the times I would get his phone and start trolling around. Um, I found text messaging from a coworker three years ago, and it was they were on a work trip, and it was like, come on back at 12.15 a.m., or... Uh, you'll have to carry me back to my hotel room at 3 a.m. And I just like showed him. I was like, what is this? It looks like you've been with another woman and you're texting her. And we're in the hospital with our newborn or you're texting about birthday presents. And he said, you know, no, you've got nothing to worry about. And I was like, you know, you're denying anything happened. Regardless, this is an inappropriate emotional relationship. And he said he didn't agree, but would respect me enough to stop. And then as he was walking out the door, he had an anxiety attack on the steps that night too. I was like, is this my life now? Or a carefully contrived anxiety attack perhaps to make you feel sorry for him. Yeah. Or he held it together enough to get through this conversation and then lost it. I don't know. I'm of the opinion it was a contrived anxiety attack to control you and manipulate you into feeling sorry for him rather than taking accountability. Yeah. So these were all little things. Again, I was finding him drinking throughout the day and denying that. And he would say, this is the only thing I can control. We stopped having sex. We would try and he physically could not. And I was starting, you know, to think, oh, something's wrong with me or you're cheating on me. He'd say, no, I love you. I'd never do that to you. Our two youngest daughters, their birthdays are July 11th and July 13th, July 12th of this year. Again, he drank, passed out. I picked up his phone and it's a different phone than mine. So I had to work hard, but I found like on the computer, there's like a downloads file. I guess your phone saves what you download to, even if you transfer phones. But I found an STD test result from three years ago. And then also like a menu of, I still don't know if it was like phone sex or prostitute, but pictures and pricing uh, with a woman. I said, what is this? What are you doing? And I didn't know at the time, but he fed me another lie of, I was on a work trip. I met a woman. We didn't have sex. And I said, we well, might as well have if you felt like you had to go get an STD test. 
And he said, well, you're not perfect either. And I was like, oh, <laughs> buddy, I never said I was. And I you know, have held up every one of our marriage vows. But in my head, I knew the next day was our daughter's first birthday and we had to stay in the house. Like I couldn't wake up the next day and he not be there for this daughter's birthday for some reason. So he stayed in the house for about five to seven days. And I started to listen to the podcast. I started to talk to people. And I just looked at him and I said, I can't even look at you anymore. You have to leave. And it wasn't thought out. We didn't have answers and everybody was crying, especially the five-year-old. But I knew we couldn't keep doing this. So from there, he drove straight to the ABC store. He had kept the finances from me our whole marriage. And finally, I was pushing. I need every login. I need to see exactly what's being spent where. And so he had called me from his hotel a couple of days later, I guess after Ben's drinking for a little bit. And he said, I have more to tell you. I have paid for services. I've been with at least four women who are prostitutes. When you saw me text messaging over Christmas, I was sex texting somebody. And I was like, okay, I'm done. Like, do you have anything else to tell me? And he said, no. And it took me another week. I got into the finances. Actually, my dad was very patient and gracious with me to sit down because I was so scared. And I made a list of questions to get a time frame. And I asked him and finally put it all together of, okay, so the first prostitute was in 2017 when you were on a work trip here. You paid for it with cash. You got here. Like I had to ask him to get the whole picture. And then one was a year ago and the two were this winter like right before COVID hit and his traveling stopped, even though a few were local, but I just had to get into the finances and ask him specific questions to get the full picture. And I said, does anybody else know this full picture? He said, oh yeah, yeah, I've told people no now or something. And I didn't dig any further. I knew what I needed to know at this point. Well, and also you can't believe anything he says. So. <laughs> So asking him things isn't really going to help you. Talk about how you found the podcast. How did that come about that you found the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Podcast? So I continued to see my counselor I saw last December. So when everything went down recently, of course, I said, I need to see you every week. And she said, but I'm not trained in this. She's really into the Enneagram, which has helped me too. But she said there used to be a local group with the COVID, they're not meeting. And so I just started Googling betrayal trauma groups, recovery, and I came across the podcast. And I'm a big runner. I now run a lot on the treadmill while the kids are still asleep, but I just listened and it just opened my eyes. Hearing other people's stories similar to mine, I think there was one in particular, and I wrote this down because it spoke to me. She said I had to work hard on me all the time because everything was falling apart because of me. She did her best to please her husband and to be the best she could be, but it was never enough. And she gave and gave and gave. And all he did was take. And I remember I sent that one to my mom and I said, this was my story too. And then I started to reduce time with my counselor from once a week so I could add in the funds to meet on Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group. And have bounced around because of childcare, depending on which coach and which time, just even being able to meet while the kids are asleep 
and it's a safe place. I've met specifically with Coach Peggy and Coach Deborah in their groups too. Once you started listening to the podcast, were you surprised that you had been abused for so long and that you didn't know? Talk about that. Yes. I think on the Instagram, it had the picture of alcoholics abuse alcohol, drug addicts abuse drugs, and porn addicts abuse people. I think those things and realizing, and he admitted it too later on now, uh, saying, I took advantage of you. I knew what I was doing the whole time. I would have never told you things would have gotten worse. And hearing that and hearing from the podcast how it's so oftentimes we say like, oh, porn's bad. I'm sorry. I did it. It's okay. Like, just don't do it again. It's not that scenario. It's no, I, he admitted, I wanted to live two separate lives. I knew what I was doing the whole time. And to me, that just opened my eyes of like, and you did this anyways. Like, you risked me, our marriage, our kids. And he said, yeah. Like, why did you let your addiction ruin our family? All he could say was like, I'm sorry. I've told him, I've looked him in the eyes and said, I could never trust you again because of the way you've emotionally abused me. You looked me straight in the eyes for years when I said, are you cheating on me? Are you doing this? No, I love you. I'd never do that to you. Trust me. I want you. I want our family. And he was doing that just so I wouldn't continue down the rabbit hole of like, well, what is this hair? Like I wasn't totally in detective mode of like trying to figure out what was going on and wasn't getting any answers. Yeah. Well, I'm so grateful that you found the podcast and that was helpful to you. With the coaching services, how has that helped you gain strength or helped you be grounded more in reality of what the true situation is? It's been a lot from the coaches and the other women. This is, I think, somebody says this, this is not a club anybody wants to be a part of, but we're thankful that you're here or that anybody is here. You have, so I'm in my young 30s with three small kids. And then I've seen a woman in her 70s and 80s been married and has grandkids and she's walking the same path I am. And so the coaches hear all the stories, right? We have this common thread of porn addiction. It could also be infidelity in my case, prostitution, but they're also different scenarios. And so we each get a chance to share that, to get some feedback from the other women or from, and from the coaches. And so for me personally, it's been, um, you know, just processing it all, but also still we're separated. Like I said, you cannot come back, but now in the point of what's it look like to move forward with the divorce or kids, they haven't spent the night with him at one point, is it safe for them to? How does that look like? So talking through all those different pieces and processing what happened, right, that has now affected how I and my children live our days and interact with him too. Mm-hmm. It's really interesting, I think, that as victims, once you get the appropriate glasses on, right, where you're like, oh, I need to look at this through the lens of abuse rather than some other thing, that we view it as he needs help or he has anxiety problems or, you know, whatever it is that you have to sort of like reframe everything that happened in the past with these new glasses on and the new glasses make everything so clear. Did you have that experience? 
Yeah. Yeah. And then even just asking him those questions of like, did you know what you were doing when you would feed me this lie of like, I'll go to counseling with you together, but nothing big's going to come out. And so he knew the whole time what he was doing and he was never going to say anything. And so now I have those glasses on, like you said, and I, oh, but you said that and you knew what you were doing. And he was like, yeah. And so at the beginning, I would replay as much as I could remember of our whole marriage and trying to figure out what was lies or manipulation and what wasn't. At this point, one of the coaches made a good point of like, do you know what you already need to know now? I can say, yeah, you know, I don't go through all that like replaying or digging on the device. It, you know, I can't even see his device anymore, but I think I've seen and heard enough that I can make my decisions now and moving forward. So if you could go back and talk to your younger self, what would you tell her? (laughs) I think that's the hardest piece because I think trusting your gut, which sometimes I would, my problem was I didn't have the evidence for him to come forward until I found what I found. And so, you know, had I found it two years ago, he wouldn't have seen as many prostitutes, but then we wouldn't have had this daughter. And so I do kind of play around with that game. But I think the full picture into anybody married or getting married, I now speak of like, please be honest with them. Make sure that they are honest with you that you have eyes on the finances. I think that's one of my biggest regrets is even recently I had questions. And so he would like screenshot the statement that would answer my question. And I would be like, no, I really want on the finances. Can I have the logins now? And he was like, oh yeah, yeah. But never would give them to me because he knew there was evidence there. So I would say it's important if you want that open relationship with finances to share that you're on it on day one too. Yeah. And I think just trusting yourself if something's not right, right. Had I said any of those things to him, he would have lied. He would have never admitted had I not had the point blank evidence because he lied when we were in counseling together. But trust yourself, trust your gut, get safety. I don't think I realized what that meant as far as like emotional safety until he's been gone. And I realized I don't have to tiptoe around my house. I don't have to be detective. I can create a safe and healthy space for me and my girls. And we can live in this place of like, no, we're going to be honest with each other and treat each other with respect. And this is what it means for you to have boundaries, even as a three and five-year-old with your emotions and with your body too. Well, I'm so grateful that you found us and that you're part of our community. And thank you so much for sharing your story today. Thank you. I appreciate Christy's courage to come and share her story on the podcast. If you would like to share your story, we would love to hear it. So please contact my assistant, Kari, K-A-R-I at BTR.org to set up a podcast interview so that we can hear your story. We all grow stronger and we have epiphanies as we work together to truly understand this. If this podcast is helpful to you, please support it. Go to our website, btr.org. Scroll down to the bottom and click on support the podcast. And until next week, 
Stay safe out there.